What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? I am your host, Armand Lee, and this is the Quarterly Report Podcast, episode 77. And you can tell by my voice that I am so excited because the NBA season finally has arrived. And to continue my preview of the most interesting teams this year, I'm welcoming my big bro, a Minnesota Timberwolves fan and someone who has covered the NBA for for quite a while. My guy, Ivan Carter, will be stopping by. If we're just breaking down the most interesting teams of October, then the Timberwolves would be number one on that list. So here we're going to talk about the T-Wolves and we're going to step on the gridiron to ask just how amazing is Patrick Mahomes and can he absolutely live up to the hype that's been building over the past few weeks. We're going to get into all of that plus the one, I don't want to say obstacle, but the one fear I have with the great interviews that we've seen recently between athletes and star rappers. All of that and so much more. But first, our number one topic this week. First I love football. You know, it's my third favorite sport, but I truly love the game. Last year, I was kind of, you know, feeling some type of way. I didn't watch it as much as I had been accustomed to. But this year, I'm, I'm back in head first and fully enjoying the product, the NFL and college football. Is delivering but man I am fed up with the the foolish narratives that continue to circle this sport and look man it happens in every sport every sport has the certain cliches or the the certain level of uh, storylines that have all of a sudden turned into gospel and even though it, it only takes you you know, a handful of moments to intelligently break down all of these storylines and narratives that consistently plague all of our favorite sports. It just feels like when it comes to football, the NFL specifically, there is like this ironclad defense that won't let anyone challenge this type of thinking, right? I've talked ad nauseum about the bubble of the elite quarterback and how teams consistently put themselves behind the eight ball trying to find the next great quarterback that's going to lead them to championships. And I ask you, if the, if the, the notion is true that you need a star quarterback to win, then why is it? that teams that have Aaron Rodgers currently, and I know he just won on Monday night, but it's clear he needs help, right? Or guys like Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck has been billed as the next John Elway, the can't-miss prospect, yet he can't win. And everyone, correctly, right? I'm not bashing Andrew Luck, but everyone now will say, oh, well, he doesn't have any help. How can those two things coexist? How is it that you need a quarterback to win, but then when you have an all-time great in Aaron Rodgers' case or an all-time can't-miss prospect in Andrew Luck's case, that then becomes the defense becomes, well, he doesn't have any help. Well, yeah, it's because it doesn't matter if you have a quarterback or not. You need help. You need talent on your roster. Is it easier when you have a quarterback? 
we could debate that. It depends. If you have a quarterback who's extremely talented on a rookie contract, well, then you have the inside track. But it doesn't necessarily then make it easier once you pay them the big money, which obviously will happen. So the Kansas City Chiefs, for the next two years, they've got a window where they can spend money on that defense and on their skill position players and make that team a legit championship contender. And I think they're a contender now. But they're going to need to shore up that defense, right? But they're paying Patrick Mahomes so little money relative to what he is delivering on the field that you have kind of juked the system, for lack of a better term, right? You are in the sweet spot. It's what happened with Seattle. Russell Wilson as a third-round pick was so valuable, right? Because he clearly outperformed his contract and did so significantly. So you, the Seattle Seahawks were able to spend so much money on that defense that they should have two Super Bowl wins. But once you pay Russell Wilson superstar money, it then gets hard. That's when the challenge happens. So Seattle hasn't addressed their offensive line in years. It just seems like they've got a running back since the Marshawn Lynch days. And now their defense is getting older, they're falling apart, and they're not nearly as dominant as they once were. Right? So... The, the idea of a star quarterback, you need a quarterback to win, is a flawed theory, right? We know this. It doesn't take much time to disprove this notion. Just look at last year's conference championship. Tom Brady was there, and he was also there with Blake Bortles, Case Keenum, and Nick Foles. Nick Foles, who ended up being Super Bowl MVP. Again, this is a narrative that does not take long to disprove, but we continue, we continually feed into it. It continues to dominate all the discussion when it comes to the NFL, so much so that now some of the ramifications of this has now stemmed to the running back position. The New York Giants, look, sorry Giants fans for listen, who listen to this show, I appreciate you all, but y'all know it, y'all team is trash. I talked about it last week, man. Odell Beckham, I had no problem with his interview. And we're going to touch on the interview, that type of interview, on the fourth quarter this week. But I had no problem with him, you know, saying, speaking truths. Eli's washed. And he didn't even say that. But we all know. We all know. We can see it. And Eli's been washed. The only problem I had with Odell Beckham's interview from two weeks ago is that he didn't say that last year. But now people are somehow saying that Saquon Barkley was the wrong pick for the Giants because you can't draft a running back that high, especially when you need a quarterback. We've got real live analysts, experts, quote-unquote experts, people who get paid so much money going on television, going on radio, saying this. Imagine being so foolish. And being so arrogantly foolish that you don't mind saying something incredibly stupid. And if you are listening to my voice and you agree with this, I'm not calling you stupid. I think that you're just feeding into the propaganda machine, which all sports have. Don't take this as me just singling out the NFL. All sports have a propaganda machine, but the NFL's propaganda machine is unmatched. Unmatched. If you honestly think that you shouldn't draft a running back that high, 
I have so many questions for you. Starting with, you must not think Todd, much of Todd Gurley, right? If if this is the prim, if this is what we're operating with, right? If you think running back should not be taken high, well then Todd Gurley, who was a legit MVP candidate, mind you, well he shouldn't have been taken where he was taken, right? He was a top five pick. Here's the deal. The nuance, the kid gloves that we always use when it comes to quarterbacks, for some reason, it never trickle down, trickles down to any other position. The problem isn't drafting running backs high in the draft. If you can find a Todd Gurley, a Saquon Barkley, I know Le- Le'Veon Bell was drafted in the second round, but if he was there and people knew, yeah, you draft them high. They're the best players in this league. They automatically change your roster. Imagine if Aaron Rodgers had Todd Gurley. Imagine if Andrew Luck had Saquon Barkley or Le'Veon Bell. Imagine that whole idea of they don't have enough help. Well, that goes away really quick, doesn't it? But the problem lies when you draft the wrong running back high in the draft. That's the issue. But that issue isn't singular to just running backs. Because again, imagine if we applied the same logic that we do with all these other positions, running backs, the defensive backs, wide receivers. Imagine if we applied that same logic to quarterbacks. We don't ever do that. Yeah, if you draft Trent Richardson high in the in the draft, that's going to be a mistake. You know what else is a mistake? When you draft Christian Ponder high in the draft, or Jake Locker. But we don't ever say, oh, you can't draft quarterbacks high in the draft, right? And think about it. We're seeing it now. Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, two of the better young quarterbacks in this league, went one-two. Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs traded up in the top ten to draft him. Makes perfect sense, right? Deshaun Watson was tearing the the league up last year as well. Uh, Houston traded up to get him. And it works when you hit. But you know who also was drafted high in the first round? Mitchell Trubisky. You know who else? And it's early. So you know what? I'm not going to critique. I'm not going to be too harsh on Trubisky because it's still very early. We don't know what he is. You know who we do know who who he is? Brandon Whedon. Remember him? First round draft pick. EJ Manuel. First round draft pick. Johnny Manziel, first round draft pick. E- I mean, the list goes on and on. I already said Jake Locker, Christian Ponder, EJ Manuel. All these guys are drafted in the first pack. What, Lynch? Paxton Lynch, first round draft pick. But no one, no one will dare say, oh man, you can't draft a quarterback in the first round. No one would dare say that. So, yeah, when you draft a Trent Richardson or a C.J. Spiller or Darren McFadden or Derrick Henry high in the first round, it hurts because they didn't turn into what you thought they would be. But you know who else went in the first round? Mark Ingram. I already talked about Saquon, Ty Gurley. Gordon out in San Diego, first-round pick. You think any of those teams wish they didn't take him? 
You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, you can find value sometimes. Uh, uh, Kareem Hunt goes in the third round, or Kamara goes in the second round, or said Le'Veon. Yes, and shout out to those guys for the teams who have the vision to get a, a star talent later in the draft. But you can get a Russell Wilson in the third round. You can get a Kirk Cousins in the fourth round. You can get a Drew Brees in the second round. You can get a Tom Brady in the sixth round. We don't apply the same logic to, to running backs as we do quarterbacks. And we are looking at it right now. One of the biggest, one of the front runners of MVP is Todd Gurley. So when you watch the sports centers on the NFL lives or the good morning footballs or all these football shows with all these expensive analysts who get on TV and say, Oh man, Saquon, he's a hell of a draft pick, but the giants, they couldn't afford him. They shouldn't have taken, they should have took a quarterback. And then two segments later, they'll talk to you about how amazing Todd Gurley is. No, those two, those two truths or those two points don't coexist in the same realm. You can't say Saquon, who was clearly at this point, what rookie has been better? Who's been better than Saquon Barkley? You can't say you can't draft that talent, number two overall, and then turn around and say, man, but Ty Gurley, he's an MVP candidate. Because you know what the Rams did? The Rams drafted Gurley, and then they drafted their quarterback. And then they gave their quarterback all these weapons on the outside. If you're the Giants, let's say you really, really wanted Baker Mayfield if you're the Giants, but you weren't high on Sam Darnold or uh, Josh Allen or Josh Rosen. And let's say you're like, you know what? Saquon is can't miss. And to this point, he has been. Can't miss. Who's to say the quarterback class coming out next year isn't better? Remember, People were talking about in Kansas City. The Chiefs had their talent, their long talent scouts, right? Their deep scouts. Not just looking at this upcoming class, but the class coming up after it. And they were like, yo, Mahomes, this guy is so much better than the class coming out next year, even though Rosen and Darnold got so much attention. They moved up to get the guy that they know or that they scouted as being the guy and so far so good let's say the giants have their scouting department not just looking at last year's class but two years they've got a generational talent at running back to go along with the generational talent at wideout. eli is done eli is washed they failed at not bringing in or addressing the quarterback position in the offseason i'm with you but not via the draft when you hear people talk about Saquon shouldn't have went number two, man, put a pin in your head and just think, you know what? I can't talk to them anymore because it's not their fault, but they're just the mindless people who listen to the sports quote unquote experts and not think rationally. Ask yourself this question. Let's say the Giants took Sam Darnold number two in the draft, right? Obviously, they wouldn't have Saquon Barkley. And let's say the Jets, they wouldn't have been able to draft Arnold number three, right? Because the Giants took him. So let's say the Jets took Saquon at number three. 
Now, that also means they wouldn't have traded Teddy Bridgewater this offseason, right? Because Teddy, they traded Teddy to New Orleans once they realized that they were going to start Darnold. So ask yourself this question. Who would be better right now? The Giants with Sam Darnold, with Odell Beckham and Shepard, but without Saquon? Or the Jets with Teddy Bridgewater and Saquon Barkley? Ask yourself that question. Who would be better? And that's my only point. It's not that drafting a running back early is a problem, just like it's not that drafting a quarterback early is the problem. But when you draft the wrong one, yes, it's a big mistake, and it makes your entire organization look really bad. It's easy to say draft the right one, but you know what? It was easy to see that Saquon was the guy, just like it was easy to know that Gurley was the guy. So, yeah. Sometimes you're going to get a no Sean Moreno in the first round. That happens. And it's unfortunate. But you know what? Sometimes you're going to draft a Jameis Winston number one overall. Sometimes you're going to draft a Marcus Mariota number one overall. It happens. Imagine if after someone drafted Jamarcus Russell, Everyone was like, you know what? You can't draft the quarterback super early in the draft. Imagine after the RG3 fiasco here in D.C., the narrative was like, you can't draft the quarterback super high in the draft. You just can't do it. Imagine that. It's beyond foolish. Like you, you, I shouldn't even spend this much time talking about it. But that same logic is applied to running backs and receivers and every other position. Oh, man. We saw what happened with Trent Richardson. You can't draft a running back that high. You saw what happened to Darren McFadden. You can't draft a running back that high. Oh, really? Well, then you would just miss out on some of the biggest and best players in this league. Let's be smarter, man. Let's challenge the people who give us the news or give us the analysis. Let's challenge them to be smarter. Because, again, it does not take much time to put a planet-sized hole in some of these arguments. All right, guys, that's the first quarter. Before we move on to quarter number two, make sure you follow me on Twitter. All this type of content, all this type of information and fun is readily available to you on so many different platforms. We're on Twitter at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. We're also on email, or you can also email us. That makes more sense, on email. You can email the show at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Again, that's quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, report at gmail.com. And, of course, make sure you check us out on Instagram, also quarterly report. We're on Instagram at quarterly report. we got so much dope stuff, so much content available for you all. Make sure you check us out on all social media platforms. All right, guys, we're going to step off the gridiron and into the squared circle. It's our second topic this week. Second quarter. Yeah, that's right, y'all. Fight night. It was a fight night this past Saturday night. You know, I wasn't able to preview Terrence Crawford's welterweight fight last week during uh, the quarterly report because there were so many other sports topics that were near and dear to my heart, so many topics that I really felt that I needed to discuss. Plus... The outcome of this fight 
was never really much in doubt in my opinion. But Saturday still was an opportunity for the world to see one of the best fighters in the world, Terrence Crawford, defend his welterweight championship for the first time in his hometown of Omaha in front of a very much game. And, you know, shout out to Jose Benavidez. He he fared very well. He did much better than I thought he was. And you've probably seen it by now. Crawford had an amazing uppercut knockdown. Benavidez got back up. It was a bit of a quick stoppage, especially considering it's in the 12th round, but it wouldn't have mattered. Benavidez at best won two rounds, right? He went 12, so shout out to him. And again, I thought the ref probably should have been a little bit slower to stop the fight. But again, when you're talking about people's health, you can never really get too upset about a ref stopping a fight. So that's not really what I want to spend much of my time on. Shout out to Terrence Crawford. He delivered, and he delivered in a huge way. But whenever you talk about Terrence Crawford, whenever you talk about any welterweight, inevitably the discussion always goes to Crawford versus Spence. Keith Thurman name gets thrown around there often, but, you know, we know what time it is. The best fighters, in my opinion, two of the best three fighters in the world are Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford. You head on over to my page, Quarterly Show on Twitter. Each Friday, I break down a top five list of something. Five favorite movie villains, five favorite Kanye tracks, five favorite MVP candidates in the NFL. And not too long ago, I broke down my five top five pound for pound list as it pertains to boxing. And I had, obviously, Lomachenko number one. But number two, I had Errol Spence. Number three, I had Terrence Crawford. It's a debate that wages on among boxing fans that probably never gets solved. And unfortunately, that's the issue. And that's where I want to start or spend most of the time for quarter number two. Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence, if it were to be signed today, would be the biggest fight the sport can make. I get Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. And that fight probably sells more because you're talking about an international star. You're talking about two heavyweights, two heavyweights who speak English. I get it. You throw in Canelo. There's not really too many opponents in the middleweight division. I would love to see him fight Charlo, but that's not going to happen at least anytime soon. Canelo's name alone will sell because he is the biggest. He's arguably the biggest draw in the sport the biggest Mexican star in the sport that is backed heavily by the Mexican and Latino population. So his name would bring sales and pay-per-view buys and obviously generate more income than any fight, potentially. But when you just talk about boxing fans and you ask them, who are the two fighters that you most want to see? I think overwhelmingly, again, Wilder, and Joshua would be up there. But I think overwhelmingly, it would be Spence versus Crawford. If we could do dream match, right? If we could be uh, a promoter and just get this fight done, that's the fight everyone wants to see. But as time continues to go on, I feel less and less confident that we actually see this fight for many reasons. And obviously, the easiest reason is because of the divide. Um, Bob Arum represents Terrence Crawford. 
Al Heyman represents Errol Spence. And those two have worked before in the past. And it's, that, it's not to say that that's the biggest issue or that's the sole reason why this fight I'm um, becoming less, more and more pessimistic, I should say. I'm becoming more and more pessimistic that this fight happens. It's not all because of those two. We've seen not too long ago those guys sit down and if the money is right, they will get their two fighters together and put on a show. But it's more than that. We've talked about this in the past, and if you follow either of the fighters on social media, you probably should on Twitter, because if you're a boxing fan, it's, it's, a, it's amazing, because they do go back and forth often. But apparently, there is a desire to make a Crawford-Spence fight a pay-per-view fight. Now... Boxing has done a really, really good job of getting out of its own way. And some of the biggest hurdles the sport had was that so many guys wouldn't take on fights because they were trying to keep their win-loss record protected before they got to pay-per-view. So pay-per-view was like this brass ring that was just in front of these fighters. And they were like, yo, we just get to pay-per-view, boom, we'll make our money. But what we've, what we've seen recently is that Going away from pay-per-view has actually done boxings and boxing and the fighters. It's done them a service. Terrence Crawford was on ESPN. And he got to showcase his talents to a much larger number of people than who would ever watch him on pay-per-view. People forget Terrence Crawford fought Victor Postal in a really compelling junior welterweight fight about three, four years ago. And they were two of the best at the time. Crawford dominated as, of course, he was. But nobody watched him. Bob Arum has recently, I mean, it wasn't recently, but he's gone on record to say he lost money putting that fight on pay-per-view. He rushed Terrence Crawford to a pay-per-view fight. It was just a bad move all around. And luckily, Crawford's talent is so amazing that it didn't really hurt him, right? He still draws on television. But part of the reason why he draws is because Arum had the foresight to keep his best fighters off of pay-per-view, move off of HBO and put them on ESPN. You can showcase guys to a larger audience being on ESPN, and this top-ranked ESPN partnership has worked out wonderfully for all parties involved. And similarly, Heyman has done so with his entire group of fighters, his entire stable with the premier boxing champions. Their first fight on Fox, I believe, starts December 22nd. And I believe Jamal Charlo is going to headline that event. I'm not certain. It's one of the Charlo twins, but I believe it's Jamal. And it's the same idea, the same notion. We're going away from pay-per-view fights, and we're going to bring our fights to the people. So you can watch top-level fighters, top-level fights, matches on free television or sometimes on Showtime, depending on, you know, the fight and the night. But you get top-level fights and top-level fighters without pay-per-view. And these guys are getting paid, and the numbers in the sport are doing extremely well. But Aram and Heyman apparently want to make this fight a pay-per-view fight. And to some degree, you understand it. Again, we're talking about two of the best three fighters in the world, two American fighters, two fighters who are exciting Two fighters who like knockouts. I mean, two fighters who don't hold. You talk about, you want nonstop action. You get it from Spence. You get it from Bud. 
But again, when you bring in money, when you bring in pay-per-view, you got to talk about who's how's this, the purse going to be split. And that's an issue. Because Terrence Crawford, we don't know what the ratings are at the time of this taping. I don't know what the ratings were for the ESPN fight. But he does still have that post-all fight hanging over his head like a dark cloud. Similarly, Spence, he's so inactive, he doesn't get to build momentum because he doesn't fight that much. So no one knows how much of a draw, if he's a draw at all, and I don't think he is for a pay-per-view audience. No one knows what he can do. So the best thing to do is go 50-50, but these guys are prideful. These guys talk a good game, and these guys, again, are two of the best at the, at the business, in the business. So you got the battle, who's A-side? Well, who's going to be A-side? A-side meaning who is the, the top billing? Is it going to be a 50-50 split? Then you got different promotions, so everybody's got their hand in the purse. So everybody wants this fight to generate money, but in order to generate money, you've got to continue to sell not just this fight, but these two fighters. The problem is, Bud, he puts on a show, but he fought a guy in Benavidez who's not even a welterweight. He's a prospect and a prospect who's not a welterweight, not a true welterweight. He moved up to fight him, and he's on one knee. He's on one leg. So, yeah, the knockout looks or the knockdown looks good, and he closed the show well, and he dominated the fight, but that's not the most impressive victory. And the problem with him, specifically with top rank, there's no one for him to fight. So you can keep on putting junior welterweights or prospects in front of him, but no one's going to give him that much credit, especially if it takes him 12 rounds to put somebody down especially when that guy was on one leg, especially when he's not a real welterweight, especially when the ref stopped the fight a little bit prematurely. That's not making anybody want to spend more money on Terrence Crawford. The good news for Errol Spence is all of the great welterweight fights, with the exception of the potential super fight between Spence and Crawford, all of the money fights in the 147 division are all on the Heyman side of the aisle, right? He has all of them. So if you did want to build uh, Spence as this big time fighter, well, you know what? He has the path because Sean, Sean Porter, he's 147. He's got a belt. He's a PBC fighter. Danny Garcia fought Sean in a very competitive, highly entertaining fight. He's also a PBC fighter. Keith Thurman, he's the wild card in all of this. He's injured, right? He's coming back soon, fingers crossed. Everyone wants to see the Spence-Thurman fight, but Thurman, rightfully so, right, correcting this, says, I'm not just going to jump in there and fight Spence on my first fight back or even in my second fight back, which makes sense. He's not going to do that. That's silly. He's got to get himself back in the shape. We give him, I think it's fair to give him two fights, but that's the problem. Two fights for a guy like Thurman. It's probably going to be a year. Maybe, maybe he gets two fights really quickly and can get that third fight in the December showdown. But more than likely, if he wants to fight Keith, it's going to take at least a year. The also another problem for Spence is that no one shows a desire to really want to fight him. Everybody talks, and we talked about this prior to... Danny Garcia, Sean Porter's fight early in September. 
Everybody was using Spence's name before the fight. Sean wins, and after the fight, Spence walks into the ring. Everybody's talking it up, yucking it up. It's going to be an easy fight to make happen. And now, all of a sudden, there's doubt that it happens. Spence is too good for his own good, <laughs> if that makes any sense, because nobody wants to fight him. There are urban legends about what Spence has done to some of the best fighters in sparring sessions, from Adrian Broner all the way to Floyd Mayweather Jr. Urban legends that just build the myth of Errol Spence. And this is years ago. Now that we see him in the ring, Lamont Peterson, God bless him, he's from the area, one of the toughest fighters. He was outclassed. See, this is the difference between Spence and Bud and why I give Spence the edge in terms of pound-for-pound pound rankings. At 147, granted, Bud has done damage, damage to Junior Welterweight. He unified the division, but since moving up, he fought Jeff Horn, who was a paper champion, and he fought Benavidez, who's not even a welterweight. Spence mopped Lamont Peterson. Lamont is better than anyone that Bud has fought at 147, and I don't know if Bud will ever fight anybody unless it's Spence better than Lamont at 147. Spence beat Kel Brook. I, we talked about this. He did to Kel what Golovkin did to him. He made Kel quit. Kel's corner threw in the towel for him when he was fighting and faring quite well. Now, he, he got his eye socket dislocated right by Golovkin. But he was doing well. The corner threw in the towel. In the 11th round, and his home country, with his title on the line, mind you, Kel took a knee. Kel quit. That, to me, that, to me, at least, seems that he was hurt far more. He felt the pain. His corner didn't stop it. He quit. In the 11th round, with his title on the line, that means to me he was feeling the damage more so in the Spence fight than in the Golovkin fight, Right? That's, that's the conclusion that I've come to. But it's not finding anybody as good as Kale at 147. Now, the problem is no one else wants to fight Spence. Everybody likes to talk a good game, but no one actually wants to sign. So Spence fights once a year because there's nobody to take the challenge. We thought Mikey Garcia was going to move up two weight classes to do so. Thankfully, Someone in his camp talked him out of that because that would have been a problem. But the problem that I come to is no one wants to fight Spence at 147 because he's such a big fighter. He's such a big welterweight. He's a natural. He's a bigger puncher than 147. He's a bigger fighter than 147. And at some point, he's going to move up. So there is a literal shot clock, a clock on making this Spence-Crawford fight happen. Because at some point, Spence is going to move up, especially if no one's going to fight him. If he fights Sean early 2019, cool. That's moving the ball. That's moving the ball forward because there's so many fights that Spence has to have first before a potential Crawford-Spence fight happens. Because, of course, we got to see Spence and Thurman. And that's an easy fight to make from a promotion standpoint. They have the same promoter. It's just less hands, less obstacles, less hurdles. But like we said earlier, it may take a year for that to happen. 
So let's say we give Keith all of 2019 to get himself right. He's probably going to want to fight Sean or whomever has that belt before he fights Spence because he feels he didn't lose the title, right? He was hurt. He lost it. He wants to avenge. He wants to avenge it. I get that. That becomes much easier if Sean fights Spence. You can kill two birds with one stone, but it's clear that Sean doesn't really want that smoke. So it's going to take at least a year to get to Thurman, at least Keith and Sean running back for a rematch, and then, then Spence will get the winner of that. That's, in my opinion, the likely uh, scenario in the welterweight division on the PBC side. All the while, you got to find people who want to step up to fight Spence. And here's another nugget. Spence probably stays at 147 as long as Charlo is a junior middleweight and the other Charlo is at middleweight, right? We know the Charlos want Canelo and the other one wants Hurd. Jared Hurd. Those are the two fights for the two Charlos coming up. Canelo apparently is moving up and wait. So, you know, Jamal is going to move up with them because he wants that fight. Every boxer wants to fight with Canelo because Canelo is the cash cow. You get in the ring with Canelo, you know it's a pay-per-view, and you know you're at least selling a million. Or you're coming very close to it. If Canelo moves up, Jamal moves up. If Jamal moves up, that means Jamal moves up. And once those two, because the Charlos and Spence are very close, very, very close. They're friendly. They're both Texas boys. They train together. They spar together. They work out together. They're not going to be in the same division at the same time. So once one moves up, it's just a domino effect. Then Jamal, who is a junior middleweight, moves up to middleweight. And guess who moves up to junior middleweight at that point? Then Spence does. And Spence is going to look to clean that division. He's too big to stay at 147 for much longer. And I honestly don't think he stays at 147 past 2020. So we literally have a two-year period to get this fight done. Spence Crawford. And we know before Spence, in my opinion, before he fights Crawford, he's going to fight Keith. And it's going to take, in my opinion, at least a year to get that happen. There's so much stuff, so much minutia that, that flows with boxing. It's, and it's a bit annoying, but if you love the sport, you take it. You understand it comes with the territory. But let's be honest. The ultimate dream fight and my second favorite sport, the sport I love, the sport that I actually love more and more as I get older, boxing. It's a process, and it's a process that unfortunately may bite the sport and all of its fans in the face. Because despite all of us wanting Spence Crawford, despite it being the biggest fight just from a talent perspective and mano a mano perspective that we can make in this sport, it probably doesn't happen. And it, only in boxing can something like that be said. <sighs> all right, guys, you heard the horn. You know what that means. That means it's halftime. But before we get into halftime, we got some house cleaning issues to take care of. Make sure you tweet at us at Quarterly Show. Tweet at us at Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. That's on Twitter. Email us your suggestions, your thoughts, 
if you think Bud is better than Spence, if you actually are optimistic that a Spence Crawford fight happens and happens soon, let me know why I'm wrong. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E-R-E-P-O-R-T, report at gmail.com. And if you don't mind, if you'd be so kind, head on over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and leave us a five-star rating, five-star review. Let me, let your friends, let the world know why you love the Quarterly Report. Give us five stars and let us know what you think about the show, good, bad, and everything in between and last but not least on twitter and on instagram at quarterly report every other monday we are doing something really really fun with the nba season in full swing it's what i love what i like to call the wire nba comparison right the best league and the best tv show of all time we're going to merge them together and i compare the biggest names the biggest stars in the nba to the best characters of the greatest show of all time it's really the greatest thing online on social media. You got to make sure you check them out again. Follow me on Instagram at quarterly report and on Twitter at quarterly show. And every other Monday, I'm going to release a new episode of the wire NBA comparisons. You guys really want to check it out. It's really fun, especially if you love the NBA and the wire. All right, guys, that was a lot, but it's time for halftime. And this week I was amazed. I was shocked really at the number of people who were upset at Aaron Rodgers and his miraculous fourth quarter comeback for the Green Bay Packers. Now, look, I get it. You don't have to like certain athletes. Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player, maybe the greatest athlete of all time, and I could not stand him growing up, mostly because he beat my Knicks every single year. But despite me not being a fan of Michael Jordan, I love to watch him play. It was amazing. You could tell while you watched it that it was amazing. But for whatever reason, we live in a day and age now where you could sit and watch LeBron James, you could sit and watch Aaron Rodgers, or you name it, Tom Brady, and people will act like they are going to the dentist. It is something that has confused me, but I and my crack team of quarterly report respondents, meaning just myself, have tracked down the root of this issue, and it's our topic for halftime this week. Check it out. Hey, man, did you see Aaron Rodgers last night? Yo, that joint was amazing. No, we will not size Aaron Rodgers for finally beating C.J. Beathard in the 49ers. Come on, hold some standards. Oh, why are you hating? Like, yo, just, he has no running back. He doesn't have any receivers. The coach is annoying. The front office is a mess, and it doesn't matter. He is willing the Packers to win. Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in the league. Best quarterback in the NFL? Aaron Rodgers, need I remind you, is 5-6 and six since the postseason when he won the Super Bowl almost a decade ago. Come on, man. 5-6? and six? He's not the best. Oh, you wildin' right now. Who, who are you? Here you go with the excuses. Have you ever heard Tom Brady make any excuses? Huh? Tom Brady had a 182-yard Sunday night versus an undefeated Chiefs team. And you want me to celebrate Aaron Rodgers beating the Niners? Where's my Mountain Dew? Skill! Why am I sounding like Shannon Sharp? Of course. We got to stop watching FS1. And LeBron is now Queen James. It's really gotten to the point. Look, I understand a lot of people like the 
the debate shows, the undisputed, the first takes. And, you know, from time to time, I'll check them out. You know what I'm saying? Because it's, they're funny. They definitely provide some uh, comedic relief. But, man, we got to the point where Bama's really real live with trying to dismiss Aaron Rodgers. And it goes both sides. People knock Tom Brady. And like I said, leading up to halftime, man, look, it's different when you root against somebody. Joe, I grew up hating Michael Jordan. You feel me? Nick fan through and through. Hated Michael Jordan. But I used to watch him. My TV was always on WGN between the, the, the Bulls games and Wayne's Brothers. Dog, I was always watching WGN. I used to always watch the Bulls because it was fun. It was fun to root against them. But in no way would I be like, dog, I don't want to watch Michael Jordan. Or whether I was like, yo, he only won six rings. That ain't nothing. Ain't, like, that's crazy. Bama's real life don't like watching Aaron Rodgers. Like, they watch Aaron Rodgers to dismiss him. Same reason, same thing happens with Tom Brady. In the NBA, people will go out of their way to knock LeBron, act like LeBron ain't nice. People do it with Steph. You understand? It's crazy. Like, at some point, we just got to kind of fall back and just appreciate the greatness that we are watching. You understand what I'm saying? Tom Brady's and Aaron Rodgers and LeBron James's, they don't come around often. They don't. Yeah, everybody was trying to find the next, next MJ. It took us this long to get somebody who can compare. Sorry, Kobe stands, but nah, y'all going to sit this one out. It took us to LeBron. You understand? Imagine knowing that it's going to take a t 15 years or so to find someone who can compare to LeBron James and us to dismiss it. Uh, Tom Brady is the next Joe Montana. He's Joe Montana. We are lucky to get Tom Brady to Aaron Rodgers in a short span of time. Imagine watching either of them being like, ah, whatever. Enjoy it because they don't come around too often. All right, guys, that was halftime. Going to keep the show moving, though, because I am pleased to announce my guest this week, my bro, someone I used to work with way back when, used to cover the Wizards for the Washington Post, Chiefs for the Kansas City Stars, so we're breaking down NBA and NFL with my guy, Ivan Carter. Third quarter. This man needs no introduction. I've known him for over a decade now, man. We used to work on the show Washington Post Live. He used to write for the Post, the Kansas City Star. But as it pertains to this interview, he is a Minnesota boy through and through. My guy, Ivan Carter. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Ivan Carter 9 Ivan. What's going on, man? And thank you for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. It's it's uh, Christmas morning, man. NBA starts tonight. You know, I'm I'm always like a little kid. Just like, I'm yeah. excited. Some real hoop, real hoop is on the way. Yeah, man. I'm super geeked. And as an NBA head like yourself and everyone who's listening to the show, most of you guys, I'm assuming, are NBA heads as well. You know, it's a holiday, Joe. Like for real. I took my daughter, got her out of school early when the Knicks started their season. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is a really a real deal for us, man. So, you know, I'm super excited about it. And the NBA is where I want to start this conversation. You know, last season, you being a Minnesota guy, it's important to let everybody know you love the Timberwolves. And last season, you guys end your playoff drought. You know, so much positivity, so much optimism around the franchise based on the fact that you have one of the six or seven best young players in this league, Carl Anthony Towns. Jimmy Butler comes, and in his first year, like I said, ends the playoff drought. There is nothing but optimism and good feelings surrounding the team. Until 
late August, September, where all this stuff starts swirling about problems and friction between your two best players, Cat and Jimmy Butler, also Andrew Wiggins, who is, is tied up financially with the organization. So my first question to you is really simple. What the hell is going on with the Timberwolves? Oh, man, I, it's, I've been a fan of that team since their inception, right? So I'm 43. They came in in 89. So I've, I mean, I went to, I saw Timberwolves games at the Metrodome, dude. Like, Pooh Richardson was running point. Like, you know, I mean, Scott Brooks played. I mean, I, I can name you. I mean, dude, you know what I'm saying? You know, I've seen it all. And I right. thought I've seen it all. I saw J.R. Ryder get busted for shooting dice in an alley in North Minneapolis. <laughs> I, I, you know, Christian Leitner being so stoned at games, even brothers are like, dang, that dude's high. Like, I mean, <laughs> Danielle Marshall, you know, was going to be the savior, man. I mean, and Stacey King and Luke Law. I mean, I've seen it all, dude, and I, this one has me flummoxed. I, I don't – because you're getting – you're finally – you're 14 years in no playoffs. You've got uh, you got a unicorn in Cat. You know, the basketball guys only make so many – Seven footers who can do what he can do, and and by all accounts is not a knucklehead. You know he's a good dude. He's a likable teammate. He's not out in the club every night. You know everything you want. And then this goes down. So it's just you know I don't know what to think. And I'm torn because on the one hand Jimmy was right when he said they need him. They were 17 games above 500 and like the four or five seed yep. when he was injured last year. So in in a very good West. Yeah. So from that standpoint, having him with Cat and even a flawed Wiggins, and we can get to him in a minute, and that and Teague and some of the other parts, at the worst case, that's a, a, a you know a seven or an eight seed, and maybe if everything breaks right injury wise, a five or six seed in a very good West. That should not be taken for granted. Exactly. On the other hand, you know, do we have a Mavericks situation with Jason Kidd and, and Jimmy Jackson not passing each other the ball because Tony Braxton? Yeah, <laughs> you know, so I don't know, man. It's it's kind of a shotgun marriage. And I, if you ask me, I was looking at Vegas over unders on total wins. That's one team. I, you're just guessing. If you say they're going to win 53 games, I believe me. I believe you. And if you said they're going to win 35 games, I believe you. I, I could see anything happening. Once again, I'm joined by my bro Ivan Carter. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Ivan Carter Nine, just the number, not spelled out. Ivan Carter Nine is the tag line. He used to write for the Washington Post, covered the Wizards there, wrote for the Kansas City Star, where he covered the Chiefs. Knows all things basketball and NFL. We will get to the aforementioned Chiefs in a moment, but I want to stay with the Timberwolves because they fascinate me. And in recent interviews that Jimmy Butler has done. He made it clear that he wanted out of Minnesota after the after the postseason. Like once their season was ended, he he let it be known that he wanted out of Minnesota. Now you've got all types of rumors, and this always happens. Anytime there is this type of conflict publicly, and no one knows where it stems from, rumors will start to swirl, and the and the the rumor mill is gone. Right? We all know what what it, things like this usually happen everybody's mind goes straight to, you know, girlfriends and stuff like that. Car Anthony Towns, to his credit, has tried to squash any of those type of rumors, but they're going to exist because we don't know where this stems from. So when you see how personal it got with Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns, and you see just how tenacious Jimmy Butler is and how he just won't let up, are you surprised, like I am, that the Timberwolves haven't traded Jimmy Butler, that this still exists to this day. 
I'm not because of Tibbs. You know, yeah. Tibbs, Tibbs is stubborn. We know that, like, his, his affinity for former Bulls, even his affinity for the way they play defense. I mean, you know, the whole NBA has come to the realization that the corner three will kill you, and yet the Wolves give it up like it's <laughs> like it's a revelation. So, you know what I mean? It's Tibbs' personality. And so Tibbs, he was just not going to give Jimmy away. And, and, yeah. and, and I, as a Wolves fan, I agree with what he's doing because there was no – to me, there was no fair value at, the, right. at this stage of the game – for what Jimmy can do for your team and what you are going to get back. I mean, Deion Waiters, man, come on, man. Like, I already I, I already shit for Ricky Davis on my team once. I'm not going through that again. You know what I mean? Like, come on. That was a poo-poo flatter. So anything that was coming back, and, and to me, in fairness to other teams, they're not going to give anything that that valuable, either in assets or picks, because Jimmy is a wild card. He was in Chicago in a sense. He could come into your locker room and blow it up. Right. So he's 29 years old. He has had a couple injuries. You know, so there's. I'm not surprised at all. Now, now, I think Tibbs has made the decision. If you're going to fire me, you're going to fire me, and you're going to pay me all my money. But I'm going down with the bullets in my gun. I'm not going down with Dion Waiters, right? You know, or whatever else you get back in a trade. So the timing of it was bad, and the individuals involved are bad. So, no, I'm not at all surprised. In fact, you know, I heard a couple of reports, that, and I believe it, that Tibbs was happy that that went down in practice that day, that Jimmy came in and called those dudes out, and I believe it. Because yeah. Tibbs sees what we all see. Yes, Tibbs, yes, Cat is very talented. He's a supernatural special player. He can get a little bit tougher. He can get better knowing the scouting report. Under, I mean, I heard stuff that, you know, the guy was playing Fortnite or whatever every night, and he didn't necessarily know who they are playing the next day. Not unusual for the not unusual for this generation of athletes. Right, right. You know, right. I've, I've read about NHL teams are taking you know not letting dudes play these games on the roads because these kids right. aren't getting any sleep. But right. so that makes sense. And then the criticism of Wiggins, we all see it. I mean, Wiggins is right now a, 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 on a Rudy Gay trajectory for a career. Poor man, Carmelo doesn't right. play great defense. Not a great passer. Doesn't rebound well enough for his athleticism. He's a scorer, but is he efficient enough? Those are all, to me, valid criticisms. So what Jimmy said was actually kind of true. Now, the way he said it, probably not the most conducive to team chemistry. <laughs> so, but I think Tibbs, I think Tibbs was secretly, deep down, was kind of happy about it. I think Tibbs, there's a diabolical side to Tibbs' nature. Tibbs' nature. Remember, this guy coached Kevin Garnett in Boston, and they won a title. And Garnett is a, and Garnett's a psycho. It makes sense. He may, that's how he thinks. So I'm not surprised at all. Once again, I'm joined by Ivan Carter. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Ivan Carter nine, former writer for the Washington post where he covered the wizards, former writer for the Kansas city star where he covered the chiefs. And we're going to finish this Timberwolves part of this interview right here. Um, you know, in today's day and age, it's easy to kind of pick a side. And so much of the time, most times really, I feel like the answer really is in the gray. I get Jimmy Butler's perspective. I really do. Carl Anthony Towns is a former number one overall pick. And Andrew Wiggins is a former number one overall pick. Jimmy said it in an interview. The best player on their team is Cat. The most physically gifted player on that team is Wiggins. But Jimmy provides something, that dog, whatever you want to call it, man, that fight, that tenacity, that, that something that Cat and Wiggins just don't have. And if you're Jimmy, who had to fight, scratch, claw just to get to this point, to who has made himself, and this is no shot at Cat, 
But Jimmy Butler has made himself into one of the best players in this league. So when you see the red carpet rolled out for Cat and Wiggins and they don't have that fight, I would be I would be pissed off if I was Jimmy Butler too. But the, the side effect is, right, you're not surprised that Tibbs didn't trade Butler. And the more Jimmy is on this team, the, the more scrutiny I feel Carl Anthony Towns will, will be under. As someone who follows this team and, and has the pulse of the fan base, are you worried that Jimmy has done significant damage to the prestige, the aura of Carl Anthony Towns? I mean, so Cat got paid. So, I mean, if you the Timberwolves paid him, so and he accepted it. So if you accept that contract and the responsibility that comes with it, then your only approach to me should be to be a dog and go out there and earn it every single night and be hungry to get not fall into the to the forty five to fifty wins, losing the first round. Right. You know, you know, I mean, that's a brutal cycle. We, we could talk all day long about teams that have got stuck in that window. You know, you and I have both lived and worked in Washington, DC. Yes, it's and, and and the Portland Trailblazers have kind of been in that cycle and, and it's 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 easier said than done to get out of that. I mean it's not it's it's one thing to go from lottery to 45 to 52 wins, make the playoffs. It's a whole other animal to go from that to actually really competing for a title because every team has a max player, but there's really only six, seven max players. Exactly. exactly. So roster construction and how you distribute your funds. Cat is universally a true max player in, right. in the truest sense of the word. Wiggins is not. Wiggins – you know, I'm not mad at him for getting his money. The good news about him is I think he's kind of oblivious. I mean, he's kind of his own world. I don't think this really affects him much. I think he kind of probably goes home and laughs it off. He's kind of – he's got that kind of Jay Cutler quality in a way, right? Like, yeah, threw three picks, so what? I, you know, I'm going to go out there and swing to eight more. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But I, So I think in terms of chemistry, it's workable – because Cat seems to have character, and I think he wants to win more than his than, than ego will matter. I think, but you know, I, what I don't know, the great unknown is, you know, this team. Let's say this team goes through a three, four game losing streak, and it gets ugly. I don't know what happened. I mean, Butler, Butler's capable of anything now. I mean, you know, he might walk in and pee on the owner's rug. I mean, I don't know what. I mean, he might fight the mascot. I don't know what he's going to do. <laughs> He's a little, he's a little crazy. Um, so I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I'll be watching every game though. Once again, guys, I'm joined by Ivan Carter. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Ivan Carter number nine. We've been talking Minnesota Timberwolves in the NBA throughout this conversation, but we're going to end things on the gridiron. I like most of the sports world have fallen in, in love with Patrick Mahomes. He is just an unbelievable talent, even in defeat. I walked away from that game Sunday night more impressed with him, and that's after his shaky half of first half of play versus New England. But, you know, we've seen this recently. You know, last year it was Deshaun Watson and Carson Wentz. Um, before that it was Dak Prescott. 2012, Andrew Luck and RG3. We've seen it where quarterbacks show flashes, whether it's injury or just situations, deter, whatever the case may be. We've seen flashes of brilliance, but it doesn't necessarily is not consistent, at least early on. I 
look at Patrick Mahomes and I'm reminded of something you told me way back when, when we were working together about college basketball, where you can watch college basketball and you can see a player. He he's a pro. You can just see it. He pops off the screen. Like, yep, he's a pro. You watch Patrick Mahomes and he pops off the screen in a league full of pros in a league full of athletes. Are you at a point where you believe, you know what? He is different. He is something special. He's unlike any of these other quarterbacks that we've seen. Or do you think that there is a regression coming? Yeah, I think I think we're I think we're one we're entering the golden age, a new golden age of quarterback play for a couple of reasons. One, the rules are set up to benefit offense. There's no question about it. You can't hit quarterbacks anymore. Wide receivers really can't get mugged down the field much at all. You know the helmet to helmet stuff. So right. and that's another discussion. But that's part of it. The, the second thing, guys like Mahomes have come out of these systems. And the NFL is adapting to what they've done well. Spread offenses. These guys are playing seven-on-seven seven football year-round. You know, I, I played college football. And I was a wide receiver back in the dark ages. We didn't do seven-on-seven seven year-round. You went and played baseball or ran track and played basketball in the winter. And then you, in the fall, you played football. And maybe, maybe you went out and threw the ball around with your, your quarterback to get – you know, just to stay in, you know, route catching shape. These dudes do it year round. I live in California. These kids, it's a, it's a, it's a 12 month a year sport for wide receivers and quarterbacks. So we're seeing them more advanced than ever. Then Mahomes has supernatural on talent. He's got Jeff George, Jay Cutler, Warren Moon. I'm, I'm talking that rare on talent that you could throw to every quadrant of the field. He could throw against his body. You know, John Elway was a guy that, that you remember. Dan Marino, a little bit different, but he was never – no blitz was ever safe getting to that dude because he burned you. He could throw to any right. part of the field. So Mahomes has all of that, and then you add the fact that his father was was a major league pitcher. I actually remember Pat Mahomes Sr. He was a Minnesota twin. I grew up going to watch the guy pitch. So he grew up in major league clubhouses around the pro mentality. He's, right. he's a he's an intelligent kid. He, you know, he was a four. He was a four zero student, like a an honor society uh, student. So he's book smart. He's brain smart. He seems to have all the right tools. And then I think he's in the ideal situation. Great talent around him and Andy Reid. Say what you want about Andy Reid and clock management and whatever, <laughs> but that man can scheme up a passing game and a running game to complement a passing game. So really, it's a perfect storm. And he is legit. Now injuries can happen. But I, 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 and he's must-watch TV, man. Like, I'm, I'm watching every game. He, he reminds me a little bit of Brett Favre in that regard. And Favre, you know, destroyed many of my Sundays for the team I root for. But I enjoyed it because it was like watching. You didn't know what you were going to see. He might throw three picks. He might throw five touchdowns. He's going to run around and hug everyone. He didn't miss games. He has that type of talent. Maybe, maybe, maybe he won't throw as many picks, I hope, if you're a Chiefs fan. But – the gun, the gunslinger thing—it's a real thing with him, and boy, it's fun to watch, man. Fun to watch. Once again, guys, that's been my guy, Ivan Carter. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Ivan Carter Nine, former writer for the Washington Post. All y'all in the D.C. area, y'all know him well. He used to cover the Wizards in Kansas City. My Kansas City folks, man, he used to write for the Kansas City Star, covering the Chiefs. Ivan, man, as always, thank you for joining me again this week on the Quarterly Report, man. Hope you do well and love to hear from you soon. You got it, buddy. Have a, have a good one. Hey, happy NBA season, baby. Ball is back. Shout out to my guy, Ivan Carter. Fun interview as always. All right, guys. So three quarters are down, meaning there's one quarter left. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, 
The fourth quarter touches on a positive trend that we're seeing, but a trend that in the wrong hands can turn negative and negative really quickly. And unfortunately, I fear that's the path that we're headed. So without further ado, our fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. I am loving these new interviews that I'm seeing where our favorite athletes are either interacting or sitting beside or engaged with their favorite, more popular musical artist, right? It started, well, I shouldn't say it started, but it really came to the forefront a few weeks back with ESPN and Josina Anderson, who did an amazing job sitting down with Odell Beckham Jr. and Lil Wayne. And last week, I kind of talked on it a bit, talking about how Odell Beckham uh, was really doing the right thing in calling out Eli Manning. The only issue I had was that he didn't do it a year earlier. And he's still catching hell, still catching flack for that interview to this day when it's clear he was right, you know, but that's a story for another topic or another time. We touched on it a bit last week, but then last Friday, your boy Drake sits down at the shop with LeBron and you know, LeBron's done an amazing job branching out into Hollywood, getting television shows and movie deals and all types of stuff. I mean, he's really working Maverick Carter and LeBron James got to show the shop. And they're at the barbershop talking with all these different athletes and musicians and comedians and whatever the case may be. And last week, it was a sit-down. It was just them three, Maverick, LeBron, and Drake. And they start talking about it all, including this past summer, the beef with Pusha T, Kanye, the whole nine. And it was dope. It was dope. LeBron will never be mistaken for Dan Rather as an interviewer, but just the fact that LeBron James is one of the most famous, interesting engaging people in the public eye, right? One of the more famous people in the world. LeBron James is sitting down with someone and you want to hear what the other person is saying more than you want to hear what LeBron is saying. LeBron is more famous than Drake, but he was in a position and the show is done in such a way that you are more interested in hearing Drake than LeBron at the time, which is a dope concept when you break it all down and is a testament to Maverick and LeBron. And then this past Wednesday, Joe Budden, who, God bless him, man. I talked about Joey a few weeks back. He's got the game by the balls, man. He's got the game perfected on the heels of the shop. He's sitting down with Push, and they go in for three hours talking about all types of stuff. And if that wasn't the most engaging and interesting thing, I don't know what was. This is a consecutive weeks, mind you. Again, so before I can really get at it, shout out to Josina Anderson, shout out to Breezy, shout out to Joey, right? Because they they handled it in a way where you can tell, number one, they are of the culture. There is an appreciation. They are of it. They understand it. And they will not use it. You know, those three things are so important. So very important. They are of the culture. They understand and appreciate the culture. And because of all of that, they won't use it. You know, they ain't trying to get over. They're not trying to milk it dry. They're not using it as a tactic. They understand it. They understand that it makes it dope. Don't get me wrong. They know that there's a benefit to, to, to sitting down with Drake. They understand. Justina knows that having little Wayne 
sitting with Odell Beckham, you know, a little bit after he drops his album, there is some, there's extra push that comes from it, but it's not like, it's not using it. You understand? And I'm worried because of the success. Bama's know. Bama's know off the rip. We still talking about Odell Beckham and Lil Wayne. Then Eli Manning talks about how he doesn't know Lil Wayne. I'm watching football last weekend, and they got Lil Wayne talking about, oh, well, Eli need to listen to the Carter Five. And I'm thinking, yo, we got Lil Wayne on Fox talking about Eli Manning. Like, what? <laughs> how did that happen? You understand what I'm saying? That all stems from an uh, Josina Anderson interview. We got Drake and LeBron going at it. And now all these digital platforms are talking about Drake, talking about push and going back and forth. And it's cool. It's cool. Until you remember, man, look, look at the digital departments of some of these places. I can attest the place where I used to work at for over a decade. And there's no shade. Shout outs to them. I'm, I'm not in the position that I would be if it was not for that organization. So I tipped the cap. Nothing but love. But their digital department does not look a certain way. You look at them, you would not think Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C., one of the more diverse areas in this country. But when you go to that digital department, oh, no. It turns Rockville real quick. You know what I'm saying? I remember I used to, I used to, I would really be bothered. One of my, one of my close homeboys used to work there as well. He was the intern coordinator. Shout out to my guy, Brian Jackson. Went to Howard. Yeah, I know. Went to Howard. And he made it a, it was, it was part of the mission, right? We would always get people, hey, man, you know, this guy I live by, my neighbor, or this guy I go, I work out with, or this guy I went to school with, their child, right? My, my guy, my neighbor's kid wants the internship. He goes to Maryland. Oh, you know, this guy I work out with. His daughter, she goes to American. Boom, 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 right? It's like the old the, the old boys club, right? People who get on, they can get their people on as well. So all these people, right, they would get their friends and neighbors and cousins and homeboys, their kids, internships. But my guy, B-Jax, man, he made it a point to go to Howard, go to State, go to Bowie, go to Morgan, all these schools who are close to where this shop is, right? and made sure that we would get representation from these schools as well for internships. This is a way to get in the door. Not because your, your dad is cool with somebody or he, go, he goes golfing with somebody who's on, but because of your work. My man B-Jack, shout out to him, moves on, furthers his career. And all the Howard interns... All the Bowie State interns, all the Morgan State intern, Coppin State, Virginia State, all those interns stopped coming. And as you would imagine, the internship, right? The internship starts looking a bit different. In D.C., Washington, D.C., with all these schools within a 60, 70 mile radius, essentially, right? With the exception of Virginia State. All close by. Morgan, Howard, Bowie, all close by. And none of them, no representation. And then all the people who start coming in, right? Stop looking. There's, there's a, there's a stop. There is an end of the faces and the diversity that is coming in to the network. 
And then the digital department looks completely different. But, and I spoke about this, I think it was my second, maybe my third episode, a year ago. For all you new listeners, shout out to y'all, I appreciate you. Go ahead, double back, and listen to some of the older episodes, man, because, man, not to pat myself on my back, but, you know, give me some seconds. Give me a few seconds, I'm going to get my Barry Horowitz on, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to pat myself on the back because I've been calling stuff as I see it, and I feel like, man, I can see this coming too. I remember when Kendrick dropped Damn. Shout out to Kendrick Lamar. We don't need to say nothing more about him or Damn. It was a dope album, dope artist. Boom. It was cool talking about Damn, talking about Kendrick. But when that album came out, every NBA or sport or pop culture, you know, this is the buzzword, right? Where sports meets culture. Every online sports department is that, like, that's their tagline. Every single one where sports meets culture. And as you would guess, every single one of them would have a, a athlete who did well. And if you remember the cover of them, it was just Kendrick looking off kind of down to the side and the letters in big print with a color font, either red or green, I believe just was damn. So if a player started playing well, it would have them with damn across the top of the, uh, the picture. And everybody thought they was cool and clever doing that. You know what I'm saying? And it was fine, except for the fact, like, just a few weeks prior to that, I believe it was the Atlantic, had an article talking about how underrepresented black and brown people are in digital departments nationwide. So I'm using that in addition to what I have seen personally in Washington, D.C., mind you. And I'm thinking, hold on, man, y'all trying to get over. Y'all are not of the culture. Y'all do not have an understanding or an appreciation, and therefore, I fear that you are going to try to use it, as I said earlier. Now, let me stop right here because I can already feel my inboxes filling up with people saying, hey, just because you're not black doesn't mean you don't like hip-hop. I'm not saying that. You can be of the culture and not be black or Latino. Shout out to my man, Ian, one of my other homeboys. I talk, I got a text I got a text chain with him, B-Jax, and a few of my other partners that go back like four or five years. This is my guy for real. White, but it's very much of the culture. We talked about the Joe Budden podcast. Rory on the show, of the culture. Parks on the show, of the culture. You can be white, Asian, whatever. It doesn't matter. You understand what I'm saying? Hip-hop and the hip-hop culture is big enough that it can embrace everybody. And unfortunately, to a fault, we embrace everybody. The culture embraces anybody. You know what I'm saying? You're welcome. We're forgiven. We're open people. We're an open group of people. So this is by no stretch race. Likewise, you can be black and not be of the culture. You understand what I'm saying? It goes both ways. So no, this is not a race thing. I want to make sure, 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 sure. I do not. I address that early. But that doesn't then mean that we're going to excuse race and act like race doesn't matter here because it absolutely does. Because if you want to use our lingo, if you want to use our music, if you want to use our bodies, our faces for your interviews, you you bet you damn right. You better pay us. You better employ us. You better want to try to have us in your internships. You understand what I'm saying? Because then you're just trying to get over. Damn, I can't stand Bama's. We just try to get over. You know what I'm saying? 
So every time you on Twitter or on Instagram and you see a post and you see it from, unless it's the undefeated, right? Because the undefeated, obviously, they're clearly specifically targeting, you know, people of color to employ. And they're on, they only exist because everyone else clearly doesn't care to employ people of color, right? Again, I wish I had the author, but the Atlantic had a piece in 2017 talking about the lack of representation of people of color in the digital departments across the nation. So you got a DC department looking like Des Moines, Iowa. So you can only imagine what it looks like in Boston or Portland or Seattle. If it's like this in DC, what do you think it's like in Charleston? What do you think it's like in Dayton? You know what I'm saying? It's hard. You feel me? And the problem is, just like everybody try to get on with the Kendrick screenshot, right? Or just how everybody wants to talk about, oh, it's lit now. It was a thing that came out not too long ago. I think it was from People. They were talking about, oh, man, it's this trend about, you know, cuffing season. And it just came out this year. And I'm like, cuffing season ain't no new trend. Cuffing season, has been talking about cuffing season since I was in high school, Joe. There was something similar again. Another one. Are you washed? Find out if you're this new phrase that's taking the nation by storm. Washed, being washed. I'm like, bro, Alabama's simple. Like, that's not new, but it's new to a different, you know what I'm saying? It's new to the masses. So whenever people get like, whenever the masses get their hands on something, they gonna run with it. That's just part of the society that we are living in. And that is my fear that the masses will see how well the Josina Anderson interview with Lil Wayne and Odell Beckham went. The masses will see how well LeBron James and Drake sitting down in the barbership, how well that has gone over and how well it was done. And how amazing the Joe Budden Pusha T interview has gone. And how that has crossed all things. Not just Spotify. It's not just the podcast. You got people online talking about it. Hell, that's one of the reasons why Budden left Complex. Because he was like, yo, the people who are running things over there, they don't care about the culture. One of the reasons why I love Joey and what he's done so much is because he's pointed it out. And I fear not ESPN. I don't think the ESPN will do it. I'm not worried about Josina Anderson. She, like, again, she's of the culture, and she's done a hell of a job before this interview. She's amazing at getting interviewers and their, her subjects comfortable, right, and talking and delving into topics that other people probably or may not be able to get out. She's amazing at that. I'm not worried about LeBron. I'm not worried about HBO Sports. I'm not worried about Joe Budden. I'm not. I'm worried about the trickle-down effect because everybody doesn't have a LeBron running their ship. Everybody doesn't have a Josina Anderson. Don't believe me? Ask a woman of color how hard it is to get on in any industry, specifically a sports one. I'm not worried about Joe Budden because he's already proved he left complex just to get it on his own. I'm worried about the RSNs, the local stuffs, the local sports stations that are going to obviously start doing stuff like this. Imagine being in D.C. and you see, you know, John Wall talking to Fat Trail. Or somebody like that. You see Troy Brown talking to Logic. Whatever the case, Wale talking to, 
you know what I'm saying? Jordan Reed, boom, whatever the case may be, right? I know there, there are people in some of these, I know some of the people who work in some of these sports stations, but there are not a lot of them. And if some people do that, it's going to be cool. If other people do that, the people who are the majority of the faces in these stations, if they start doing that, I'm worried because I don't know if they really give a damn. I don't know if they're going to put these people off in the position that they're trying to use them. And look, we understand. We understand. There are things that go on under the scenes all the time. So you could come out to someone and shake their hand and smile on their face, but they could be resent, resentful. They could already think less of you. They could be envious. They could discredit. They may, they may make fun of the way you talk, how you look. We already went through this with the John Wall stuff over the summer. How you wear your hair, all types of stuff. So they could just be like, yo, we got this interview with insert rapper here, right? This rapper's got a very popular song. This rapper gets clicks. This rapper gets all these YouTube views. So we're just, we'll just steal that, but we don't give a damn about this rapper. He's just some silly kid who can't speak and doesn't care. And we're not going to light him well. And we're not going to talk to him about the, the interview process and none of that. We're just going to put him on the camera, dance, go boy. You know what I'm saying? And I worry that's coming. Because it's clear they don't care about the culture. They don't. And again, make sure you understand that this is, I'm not specifically talking about race, except for the fact that specifically there is a problem in these departments from a racial standpoint. They don't have a problem not hiring people of color. They don't have a problem having internships that are diverse, that are representative of the area. So with all of that as context, with all of that as the backdrop, aren't you worried? Because again, everybody don't have a Josina Anderson. Everybody is not going to be a LeBron James, obviously. Everybody's not a Joe Budden, obviously. Hell, I'll put it to you like this. I'm of the culture. I am hip-hop through and through. I love it. Y'all can tell. Go on IG, go on my Twitter, listen to the show. I go back and forth between hip-hop, and it's not just music. How I talk, how I think, how I view things, how I carry myself, all types of stuff, man. It just comes out. But in that, I do all these wire comparisons. I do all this stuff. You can tell it's there. I care about the wire. I watch the wire. I really rock with the wire. I really rock with the NBA. Imagine if I start doing some stuff like over the summer, all the young boys I work out with. Or go to the barber, you know what I'm saying, around the way. They talking about the Mo Bamba joint, right? Shaq West song, y'all know what time it is. Over the summer, that's all these boys was talking about. So I hear it, they play it for me, like, all right, you know, cool, boom, whatever. It's not for me, no hate to the young boy, no hate to the young people out there who rock with the joint, man. That's y'all, boom. I remember when I was young coming up, and I was listening to Lil Jon all the time. And, you know, my older G's will tell me, all right, that's cool. It's not for me, but that's cool that y'all rocking it. And it's no, it's no hate. Same thing. Shout out to the young babies listening out there, listening to that joint, man. Shout out to y'all who enjoy it and dance to it and move to it and it resonates with you. 
it's not for me. It's not a problem. But if all of a sudden you start seeing me talking about Shaq West and Shaq Lizzy and all this other stuff, stuff that I don't listen to, then you can be like, okay, you of, of, of the culture, but you just trying to get on. You clout chasing. You feel me? And then any if I were to ever do that, you damn right, y'all would be right to be like, yo, I'm out thinking right now. Hell yeah. Because that's, I don't care. There's not an appreciation, right? There's not an understanding. And because of that, I'm going to try to use it. The only reason, if you saw me trying to compare NBA players to Lil Red and all this other stuff, you'd be like, yo, you wildin' right now, Joe. You look like Obama. You know what I'm saying? Because that stuff doesn't, that doesn't even come to my, that doesn't even come to my doorstep. never crosses my face. I don't pay attention to that. Not hating, it's just not for me. Again, I'd be cloud chasing. And that's coming from someone from the culture. So imagine somebody who already pro who may already have negative, you know, ideas and views on these people who make this music that they may not even respect this music. God, I can own, I can tell, I can go down the list of people in these sports departments who have made it very clear that they do not respect some of the athletes that they cover. Talk about their tattoos and how they talk. I mean, all types of stuff. And we know where that stems from, don't we? Right? Are we confident that these people are going to treat these artists and these athletes as people and not just a way to get on? And if you do view them as a way to get on, are you going to make sure that they are presented in the best light or put them in a position to where they can communicate themselves and thoughts and opinions in a way that is respectable that they would appreciate that's what i'm saying man maybe i've been jaded through the business maybe i'm not dismissing that at all but when i see drake sit with lebron when i see odell and Lil wayne with josina anderson i'm super excited i'm excited and i and i appreciate how dope those interviews went because they both were in completely different ways and completely different reasons. Very engaging, very entertaining, very dope. But I also get weary. I do. I'm not going to lie, I get real weary because I, I have a bad feeling what this leads to. Hopefully I'm wrong. But I'm not going to fake and give me this opportunity to flex because I was right about the xfl i was right about hbo boxing you feel me i was right about the turnover chain you know your boy kind of hold been holding it down for a while i don't know if y'all looked at the bovada mvp races remember about a month or two ago when i told y'all about donovan mitchell and ben simmons putting some money on that value of them being mvp candidates oh that value changed real quick do you see it Donovan Mitchell went from 85 to one odds to 25 to one odds. Ben Simmons went 35 to one odds to 25 to one odds. Yeah. I'm trying to hold y'all down, baby. Understand, I'm a man of the people. But I'm a flex. You damn right, I'm a flex. All right, y'all. Allow me to flex as I say goodbye. Once again, I want to thank my man, my brother, Ivan Carter, for stopping by, rapping to us about the crazy 
crazy offseason for the Minnesota Timberwolves and the amazing start to the season of Patrick Mahomes. We'll see if both continue. Also, I want to thank each and every one of you all for rocking with me for the 77th episode of the Quarterly Report. I really appreciate you guys. I really do. Make sure you email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E-R-E-P-O-R-T at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts. Am I being, am I ODN being skeptical, overly skeptical about the industry and how they use hip hop and sports? Am I just wildin'? Or do you agree with me? Let me know there. Let me know your ideas or topics on anything that I touched on or maybe something that I didn't that you want to hear me express my thoughts on. You email me whatever you want, quarterlyreport at gmail.com. And you can tweet at me whatever you want at quarterly show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. Let me know your thoughts on everything that I discussed this week, last week, or something that you want to hear me talk to on next week. It's all good. Tweet at me in the show. And remember, every other Monday, man, the Wire NBA comparisons. I've gotten a lot of good feedback from these things. Don't worry. They're going to last all season long this year, man. I've got some already cooked up. I'm going to work on some more. We're going to be good all year. I'm comparing some of the biggest stars of the NBA to our favorite characters from the hit in HBO series, Wire NBA comparisons. Check them out on Twitter and on Instagram where you can follow me at quarterly report Q U A R T E R L E E report. All right guys, this fourth quarter went away way bit longer than I intended, but man, this is a topic near and dear to my heart. I'm going to wrap this show up, but don't fret. I will be back here next Thursday for another episode of the quarterly report. <laughs>